Chapter Thirteen of France and England in North America, Part Five. Count Frontenac, New France, Louis the Fourteenth, by Francis Parkman Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, Sixteen Ninety, Defense of Quebec the delay at boston waiting aid from england that never came was not propitious to phipps nor were the wind and the waves the voyage to the st lawrence was a long one and when he began without a pilot to grope his way up the unknown river the weather seemed in league with his enemies he appears moreover to have wasted time what was most vital to his success was rapidity of movement yet whether by his fault or his misfortune he remained three weeks within three days sail of quebec while anchored off tadoussac with the wind ahead he passed the idle hours in holding councils of war and framing rules for the government of his men and when at length the wind veered to the east it is doubtful that he made the best use of his opportunity he presently captured a small vessel commanded by granville an officer whom prevost had sent to watch his movements he had already captured near tadoussac another vessel having on board madame lalande and madame joliette the wife and the mother-in-law of the discoverer of the mississippi when questioned as to the condition of quebec they told him that it was imperfectly fortified that its cannon were dismounted and that it had not two hundred men to defend it phipps was greatly elated thinking that like port royal the capital of canada would fall without a blow the statement of the two prisoners was true for the most part when it was made but the energy of prevost soon wrought a change phipps imagined that the canadians would offer little resistance to the puritan invasion for some of the acadians had felt the influence of their new england neighbours and shown an inclination to them it was far otherwise in canada where the english heretics were regarded with abhorrence whenever the invaders tried to land at the settlements along the shore they were met by a rebuff at the river well francheville the cure put on a cap and capote took a musket led his parishioners to the river and hid with them in the bushes as the english boats approached their ambuscade they gave the foremost a volley which killed nearly every man on board upon which the rest sheered off it was the same when the fleet neared quebec bands of militia vigilant agile and well commanded followed it along the shore and repelled with showers of bullets every attempt of the enemy to touch canadian soil when after his protracted voyage phipps sailed into the basin of quebec one of the grandest scenes on the western continent opened upon his sight the wide expanse of waters the lofty promontory beyond and the opposing heights of lévis the cataract of montmorency the distant range of the laurentian mountains the warlike rock with its diadem of walls and towers the roofs of the lower town clustering on the strand beneath the chateau st louis perched at the brink of the cliff and over it the white banner spangled with fleur-de-lis flaunting defiance in the clear autumnal air perhaps as he gazed a suspicion seized him that the task he had undertaken was less easy than he had thought but he had conquered once by a simple summons to surrender and he resolved to try its virtue again the fleet anchored a little below quebec and towards ten o'clock the french saw a boat put out from the admiral's ship bearing a flag of truce four canoes went from the lower town and met it midway it brought a subaltern officer who announced himself as the bearer of a letter from sir william phipps to the french commander he was taken into one of the canoes and paddled to the quay after being completely blindfolded by a bandage which covered half his face prevost received him as he landed and ordered two sergeants to take him by the arms and lead him to the governor his progress was neither rapid nor direct 
they drew him hither and thither delighting to make him clamour in the dark over every possible obstruction while a noisy crowd hustled him and laughing women called him collet maillard the name of the chief player in blind man's bluff amid a prodigious hubbub intended to bewilder him and impress him with a sense of immense warlike preparation they dragged him over the three barricades of mountain street and brought him at last into a large room of the chateau here they took the bandage from his eyes he stood for a moment with an air of astonishment and some confusion the governor stood before him haughty and stern surrounded by french and canadian officers maricourt st hélène longueuil villebon valrennes bienville and many more bedecked with gold lace and silver lace perruques and powder plumes and ribbons and all the martial foppery in which they took delight and regarding the envoy with keen defiant eyes after a moment he recovered his breath and his composure saluted frontenac and expressing a wish that the duty assigned him had been of a more agreeable nature handed him the letter of phipps frontenac gave it to an interpreter who read it aloud in french that all might hear it ran thus sir william phipps knight general and commander-in-chief in and over their majesty's forces of new england by sea and land to count frontenac lieutenant-general and governor for the french king at canada or in his absence to his deputy or him or them in chief command at quebec the war between the crowns of england and france doth not only sufficiently warrant but the destruction made by the french and indians under your command and encouragement upon the persons and estates of their majesty's subjects of new england without provocation on their part hath put them under the necessity of this expedition for their own security and satisfaction and although the cruelties and barbarities used against them by the french and indians might upon the present opportunity prompt unto a severe revenge yet being desirous to avoid all inhumane and unchristianlike actions and to prevent shedding of blood as much as may be i the aforesaid william phipps knight do hereby in the name and in the behalf of their most excellent majesties william and mary king and queen of england scotland france and ireland defenders of the faith and by order of their said majesty's government of the massachusetts colony in new england demand a present surrender of your forts and castles undemolished and the king's and other stores unembezzled with a seasonable delivery of all captives together with a surrender of all your persons and estates to my dispose upon the doing whereof you may expect mercy from me as a christian according to what shall be found for their majesty's service and their subjects security which if you refuse forthwith to do i am come provided and am resolved by the help of god in whom i trust by force of arms to revenge all wrongs and injuries offered and bring you under subjection to the crown of england and when too late make you wish you had accepted of the favour tendered your answer positive in an hour returned by your own trumpet with the return of mine is required upon the peril that will ensue when the reading was finished the englishman pulled his watch from his pocket and handed it to the governor frontenac could not or pretended that he could not see the hour the messenger thereupon told him that it was ten o'clock and that he must have his answer before eleven a general cry of indignation arose and valrennes called out that phipps was nothing but a pirate and that his man ought to be hanged frontenac contained himself for a moment and then said to the envoy i will not keep you waiting so long tell your general i do not recognize king william and that the prince of orange who so styles himself is a usurper who has violated the most sacred laws of blood in attempting to dethrone his father-in-law i know no king of england but king james 
your general ought not to be surprised at the hostilities which he says that the french have carried on in the colony of massachusetts for as the king my master has taken the king of england under his protection and is about to replace him on his throne by force of arms he might have expected that his majesty would order me to make war on a people who have rebelled against their lawful prince then turning with a smile to the officers about him even if your general offered me conditions a little more gracious and if i had a mind to accept them does he suppose that these brave gentlemen would give their consent and advise me to trust a man who broke his agreement with the governor of port royal or a rebel who has failed in his duty to his king and forgotten all the favours he had received from him to follow a prince who pretends to be the liberator of england and the defender of the faith and yet destroys the laws and privileges of the kingdom and overthrows its religion the divine justice which your general invokes in his letter will not fail to punish such acts severely the messenger seemed astonished and startled but he presently asked if the governor would give him his answer in writing no returned frontenac i will answer your general only by the mouth of my cannon that he may learn that a man like me is not to be summoned after this fashion let him do his best and i will do mine and he dismissed the englishman abruptly he was again blindfolded led over the barricades and sent back to the fleet by the boat that brought him phipps had often given proof of personal courage but for the past three weeks his conduct seems that of a man conscious that he is charged with a work too large for his capacity he had spent a good part of his time in holding councils of war and now when he heard the answer of frontenac he called another to consider what should be done a plan of attack was at length arranged the militia were to be landed on the shore of beauport which was just below quebec though separated from it by the st charles they were then to cross this river by a ford practicable at low water climb the heights of st genevieve and gain the rear of the town the small vessels of the fleet were to aid the movement by ascending the st charles as far as the ford holding the enemy in check by their fire and carrying provisions ammunition and entrenching tools for the use of the land troops when these had crossed and were ready to attack quebec in the rear phipps was to cannonade it in front and land two hundred men under cover of his guns to effect a diversion by storming the barricades some of the french prisoners from whom their captors appear to have received a great deal of correct information told the admiral that there was a place a mile or two above the town where the heights might be scaled and the rear of the fortifications reached from a direction opposite to that proposed this was precisely the movement by which wolfe afterwards gained his memorable victory but phipps chose to abide by the original plan while the plan was debated the opportunity for accomplishing it ebbed away it was still early when the messenger returned from quebec but before phipps was ready to act the day was on the wane and the tide was against him he lay quietly at his moorings when in the evening a great shouting mingled with the roll of drums and the sound of fifes was heard from the upper town the english officers asked their prisoner granville what it meant ma foi messieurs he replied you have lost the game it is the governor of montreal with the people from the country above there is nothing for you now but to pack and go home in fact calier had arrived with seven or eight hundred men many of them regulars with these were bands of coureurs de bois and other young canadians all full of fight singing and whooping with martial glee as they passed the western gate and trooped down st louis street the next day was gusty and blustering and still phipps lay quiet waiting on the winds and the waves 
a small vessel with sixty men on board under captain ephraim savage ran in towards the shore of beauport to examine the landing and stuck fast in the mud the canadians plied her with bullets and brought a cannon to bear on her they might have waded out and boarded her but savage and his men kept up so hot a fire that they forbore the attempt and when the tide rose she floated again there was another night of tranquillity but at about eleven on wednesday morning the french heard the english fifes and drums in full action while repeated shouts of god save king william rose from all the vessels this lasted an hour or more after which a great number of boats loaded with men put out from the fleet and rowed rapidly towards the shore of beauport the tide was low and the boats grounded before reaching the landing-place the french on the rock could see the troops through telescopes looking in the distance like a swarm of black ants as they waded through mud and water and formed in companies along the strand they were some thirteen hundred in number and were commanded by major wally frontenac had sent three hundred sharpshooters under st hélène to meet them and hold them in check a battalion of troops followed but long before they could reach the spot st hélène's men with a few militia from the neighbouring parishes and a band of huron warriors from lorette threw themselves into the thickets along the front of the english and opened a distant but galling fire upon the compact bodies of the enemy wally ordered a charge the new england men rushed in a disorderly manner but with great impetuosity up the rising ground received two volleys which failed to check them and drove back the assailants in some confusion they turned however and fought in indian fashion with courage and address leaping and dodging among trees rocks and bushes firing as they retreated and inflicting more harm than they received towards evening they disappeared and wally whose men had been much scattered in the desultory fight drew them together as well as he could and advanced towards the st charles in order to meet the vessels which were to aid him in passing the ford here he posted sentinels and encamped for the night he had lost four killed and about sixty wounded and imagined that he had killed twenty or thirty of the enemy in fact however their loss was much less though among the killed was a valuable officer the chevalier de clermont and among the wounded the veteran captain of beauport juchot de saint-denis more than sixty-four years of age in the evening a deserter came to the english camp and brought the unwelcome intelligence that there were three thousand armed men in quebec meanwhile phipps whose fault hitherto had not been an excessive promptitude grew impatient and made a premature movement inconsistent with the preconcerted plan he left his moorings anchored his largest ships before the town and prepared to cannonade it but the fiery veteran who watched him from the chateau st louis anticipated him and gave him the first shot phipps replied furiously opening fire with every gun that he could bring to bear while the rock paid him back in kind and belched flame and smoke from all its batteries so fierce and rapid was the firing that la hontane compares it to volleys of musketry and old officers who had seen many sieges declared that they had never known the like the din was prodigious reverberated from the surrounding heights and rolled back from the distant mountains in one continuous roar on the part of the english however surprisingly little was accomplished beside noise and smoke the practice of their gunners was so bad that many of their shots struck harmlessly against the face of the cliff their guns too were very light and appeared to have been charged with a view to the most rigid economy of gunpowder for the balls failed to pierce the stone walls of the buildings and did so little damage that as the french boasted twenty crowns would have repaired it all night came at length and the turmoil ceased phipps lay quiet till daybreak when frontenac sent a shot to waken him and the cannonade began again 
Saint-Hélène had returned from Beauport, and he, with his brother Maricourt, took charge of the two batteries of the lower town, aiming the guns in person, and throwing balls of eighteen and twenty-four pounds with excellent precision against the four largest ships of the fleet. One of their shots cut the flagstaff of the Admiral, and the cross of St. George fell into the river. It drifted with the tide towards the north shore, whereupon several Canadians paddled out in a birch canoe, secured it, and brought it back in triumph on the spire of the cathedral in the upper town had been hung a picture of the holy family as an invocation of divine aid the puritan gunners wasted their ammunition in vain attempts to knock it down that it escaped their malice was ascribed to miracle but the miracle would have been greater if they had hid it at length one of the ships which had suffered most hauled off and abandoned the fight that of the admiral had fared little better and now her condition grew desperate with her rigging torn her main mast half cut through her mizzen mast splintered her cabin pierced and her hull riddled with shot another volley seemed likely to sink her when phipps ordered her to be cut loose from her moorings and she drifted out of fire leaving cable and anchor behind the remaining ships soon gave over the conflict and withdrew to stations where they could neither do harm nor suffer it phipps had thrown away nearly all his ammunition in this futile and disastrous attack which should have been deferred till the moment when wally with his land force had gained the rear of the town wally lay in his camp his men wet shivering with cold famished and sickening with the smallpox food and all other supplies were to have been brought him by the small vessels which should have entered the mouth of the st charles and aided him to cross it but he waited for them in vain every vessel that carried a gun had busied itself in cannonading and the rest did not move there appears to have been insubordination among the masters of these small craft some of whom being owners or part owners of the vessels they commanded were probably unwilling to run them into danger wally was no soldier but he saw that to attempt the passage of the river without aid under the batteries of the town and in the face of forces twice as numerous as his own was not an easy task frontenac on his part says that he wished him to do so knowing that the attempt would ruin him the new england men were eager to push on but the night of thursday the day of phipps repulse was so cold that ice formed more than an inch in thickness and the half-starved militia suffered intensely six field pieces with their ammunition had been sent ashore but they were nearly useless as there were no means of moving them half a barrel of musket powder and one biscuit for each man were also landed and with this meagre aid wally was left to capture quebec he might had he dared have made a dash across the ford on the morning of thursday and assaulted the town in the rear while phipps was cannonading it in front but his courage was not equal to so desperate a venture the firing ceased and the possible opportunity was lost the citizen soldier despaired of success and on the morning of friday he went on board the admiral's ship to explain his situation while he was gone his men put themselves in motion and advanced along the borders of the st charles towards the ford frontenac with three battalions of regular troops went to receive them at the crossing while st hélène with his brother longueuil passed the ford with a body of canadians and opened fire on them from the neighbouring thickets their advance parties were driven in and there was a hot skirmish the chief loss falling on the new england men who were fully exposed on the side of the french st hélène was mortally wounded and his brother was hurt by a spent ball towards evening the canadians withdrew and the english encamped for the night their commander presently rejoined them 
the admiral had given him leave to withdraw them to the fleet and boats were accordingly sent to bring them off but as these did not arrive till about daybreak it was necessary to defer the embarkation till the next night at dawn quebec was all astir with the beating of drums and the ringing of bells the new england drums replied and wally drew up his men under arms expecting an attack for the town was so near that the hubbub of voices from within could plainly be heard the noise gradually died away and except a few shots from the ramparts the invaders were left undisturbed wally sent two or three companies to beat up the neighbouring thickets where he suspected that the enemy was lurking on the way they had the good luck to find and kill a number of cattle which they cooked and ate on the spot whereupon being greatly refreshed and invigorated they dashed forward in complete disorder and were soon met by the fire of the ambushed canadians several more companies were sent to their support and the skirmishing became lively three detachments from quebec had crossed the river and the militia of beauport and beaupre had hastened to join them they fought like indians hiding behind trees or throwing themselves flat among the bushes and laying repeated ambuscades as they slowly fell back at length they all made a stand on a hill behind the buildings and fences of a farm and here they held their ground till night while the new england men taunted them as cowards who would never fight except under cover wally who with his main body had stood in arms all day now called in the skirmishers and fell back to the landing-place where as soon as it grew dark the boats arrived from the fleet the sick men of whom there were many were sent on board and then amid floods of rain the whole force embarked in noisy confusion leaving behind them in the mud five of their cannon hasty as was their parting their conduct on the whole had been creditable and la hontan who was in quebec at the time says of them they fought vigorously though as ill-disciplined as men gathered together at random could be for they did not lack courage and if they failed it was by reason of their entire ignorance of discipline and because they were exhausted by the fatigues of the voyage of phipps he speaks with contempt and says that he could not have served the french better if they had bribed him to stand all the while with his arms folded some allowance should nevertheless be made him for the unmanageable character of the force under his command the constitution of which was fatal to military subordination on sunday the morning after the re-embarkation phipps called a council of officers and it was resolved that the men should rest for a day or two that there should be a meeting for prayer and that if ammunition enough could be found another landing should be attempted but the rough weather prevented the prayer meeting and the plan of a new attack was fortunately abandoned quebec remained in agitation and alarm till tuesday when phipps weighed anchor and disappeared with all his fleet behind the island of orleans he did not go far as indeed he could not but stopped four leagues below to mend rigging fortify wounded masts and stop shot-holes subercasse had gone with a detachment to watch the retiring enemy and phipps was repeatedly seen among his men on a scaffold at the side of his ship exercising his old trade of carpenter this delay was turned to good use by an exchange of prisoners chief among those in the hands of the french was captain davis late commander at casco bay and there were also two young daughters of lieutenant clark who had been killed at the same place frontenac himself had humanely ransomed these children from the indians and madame de champigny wife of the intendant had with equal kindness bought from them a little girl named sarah garish and placed her in charge of the nuns at the hotel dieu who had become greatly attached to her while she on her part left them with reluctance 
the french had the better in these exchanges receiving able-bodied men and returning with the exception of davis only women and children the heretics were gone and quebec breathed freely again her escape had been a narrow one not that three thousand men in part regular troops defending one of the strongest positions on the continent and commanded by frontenac could not defy the attacks of two thousand raw fishermen and farmers led by an ignorant civilian but the numbers which were a source of strength were at the same time a source of weakness nearly all the adult males of canada were gathered at quebec and there was imminent danger of starvation cattle from the neighbouring parishes had been hastily driven into the town but there was little other provision and before phipps retreated the pinch of famine had begun had he come a week earlier or stayed a week later the french themselves believed that quebec would have fallen in the one case for want of men and in the other for want of food the lower town had been abandoned by its inhabitants who bestowed their families and their furniture within the solid walls of the seminary the cellars of the ursuline convent were filled with women and children and many more took refuge at the hotel dieu the beans and cabbages in the garden of the nuns were all stolen by the soldiers and their woodpile was turned into bivouac fires we were more dead than alive when we heard the cannon writes mother juchot but the jesuit fremet came to console them and their prayers and their labors never ceased on the day when the firing was heaviest twenty-six balls fell into their yard and garden and were sent to the gunners at the batteries who returned them to their english owners at the convent of the ursuline the corner of a nun's apron was carried off by a cannon-shot as she passed through her chamber the sisterhood began a novena or nine days devotion to st joseph st anne the angels and the souls in purgatory and one of their number remained day and night in prayer before the images of the holy family the bishop came to encourage them and his prayers and his chants were so fervent that they thought their last hour was come the superior of the jesuits with some of the elder members of the order remained at their college during the attack ready should the heretics prevail to repair to their chapel and die before the altar rumour exaggerated the numbers of the enemy and a general alarm pervaded the town it was still greater at lorette nine miles distant the warriors of that mission were in the first skirmish at beauport and two of them running off in a fright reported at the village that the enemy were carrying everything before them on this the villagers fled to the woods followed by father germain their missionary to whom this hasty exodus suggested the flight of the holy family into egypt the jesuits were thought to have special reason to fear the puritan soldiery who it was reported meant to kill them all after cutting off their ears to make necklaces when news first came of the approach of phipps the bishop was absent on a pastoral tour hastening back he entered quebec at night by torchlight to the great joy of its inmates who felt that his presence brought a benediction he issued a pastoral address exhorting his flock to frequent and full confession and constant attendance at mass as the means of ensuring the success of their arms laval the former bishop aided his efforts we appealed he writes to god his holy mother to all the angels and to all the saints nor was the appeal in vain for each day seemed to bring some new token of celestial favour and it is not surprising that the head-winds which delayed the approach of the enemy the cold and the storms which hastened his departure and above all his singularly innocent cannonade which killed but two or three persons should have been accepted as proof of divine intervention it was to the holy virgin that quebec had been most lavish of its vows and to her the victory was ascribed one great anxiety still troubled the minds of the victors 
three ships bringing large sums of money and the yearly supplies for the colony were on their way to quebec and nothing was more likely than that the retiring fleet would meet and capture them messengers had been sent down the river who passed the english in the dark found the ships at st paul's bay and warned them of the danger they turned back and hid themselves within the mouth of the saguenay but not soon enough to prevent phipps from discovering their retreat he tried to follow them but thick fogs arose with a persistent tempest of snow which completely baffled him and after waiting five days he gave over the attempt when he was gone the three ships emerged from their hiding-place and sailed again for quebec where they were greeted with a universal jubilee their deliverance was ascribed to st anne the mother of the virgin and also to st francis xavier whose name one of them bore quebec was divided between thanksgiving and rejoicing the captured flag of phipps ship was borne to the cathedral in triumph the bishop sang te deum and amid the firing of cannon the image of the virgin was carried to each church and chapel in the place by a procession in which priests people and troops all took part the day closed with a grand bonfire in honour of frontenac one of the three ships carried back the news of the victory which was hailed with joy at versailles and a medal was struck to commemorate it the ship carried also a dispatch from frontenac now that the king has triumphed by land and sea wrote the old soldier will he think that a few squadrons of his navy would be ill-employed in punishing the insolence of these genuine old parliamentarians of boston and crushing them in their den and the english of new york as well by mastering these two towns we shall secure the whole sea-coast besides the fisheries of the grand bank which is no slight matter and this would be the true and perhaps the only way of bringing the wars of canada to an end for when the english are conquered we can easily reduce the iroquois to complete submission phipps returned crestfallen to boston late in november and one by one the rest of the fleet came straggling after him battered and weather-beaten some did not appear till february and three or four never came at all the autumn and early winter were unusually stormy captain rainsford with sixty men was wrecked on the island of anticosti where more than half their number died of cold and misery in the other vessels some were drowned some frost-bitten and above two hundred killed by smallpox and fever at boston all was dismay and gloom the puritan bowed before this awful frown of god and searched his conscience for the sin that had brought upon him so stern a chastisement massachusetts already impoverished found herself in extremity the war instead of paying for itself had burdened her with an additional debt of fifty thousand pounds the sailors and soldiers were clamorous for their pay and to satisfy them the colony was forced for the first time in its history to issue a paper currency it was made receivable at a premium for all public debts and was also fortified by a provision for its early redemption by taxation a provision which was carried into effect in spite of poverty and distress massachusetts had made her usual mistake she had confidently believed that ignorance and inexperience could match the skill of a tried veteran and that the rude courage of her fishermen and farmers could triumph without discipline or leadership the conditions of her material prosperity were adverse to efficiency in war a trading republic without trained officers may win victories but it wins them either by accident or by an extravagant outlay in money and life End of chapter thirteen